This week on the Backtable Podcast. It's important to emphasize that you have to build a sense of trust when you turn your scheduling process over to a computer. It really took us a couple of years to get all of our rule sets correct, to make sure that everything was working properly. And I think you have to go into it with that mindset of knowing you're not going to get it right the first time. And the downfall of that is that if you don't get it right the first time, then everyone starts to lose trust in it. And so if you're going to make this conversion, you really have to get your group to buy into the process of the transition and not just expecting that Qgenda is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to them. Welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things endovascular or otherwise minimally invasive. You can find all previous episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or backtable.com. Subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or reach out to us on Twitter or email to let us know how we can make this a more valuable resource for the endovascular community. First, a brief word from our sponsors. The Hawk One directional atherectomy system treats all plaque morphologies, including severe calcium above and below the knee. If your treatment goal is to make a small channel or to maximize luminal gain, choose Hawk One to preserve a patient's native vessel and keep future treatment options open. Risks may include, but are not limited to, arterial perforation or dissection, embolism or arterial thrombosis, and vascular complications that could require surgical repair. Learn more about Hawk One as well as risk and safety information at medtronic.com slash Hawk One. For more than a decade, Reflow Medical has designed and engineered medical devices that respond to unmet clinical needs. The Wingman Crossing Catheter with its unique extendable beveled tip and an expanded indication for CTOs. The Specs LP, created to meet the need for a low-profile version of the Specs shapeable support catheter. And the new line of core catheters that answers the call for a suite of effective tools to use in challenging PCI procedures. Now, back to the show. This is Michael Barraza returning as your host. I am thrilled to welcome my friend and partner, Dr. Brandon Sainema, who works with me in Radiology Associates of Baton Rouge in Louisiana. And we're going to talk today about scheduling tips for a practice. Brandon, how's it going? Uh, going fine. Thanks, Mike. So Brandon, how long have you been with this practice? I uh, have been in practice with Radiology Associates for 15 years. And so when you started with the group, did you have any experience doing scheduling? Yeah, so I was the chief resident in my training program and did some scheduling at that point. It was pretty easy to do because most residents just rotate for a month at a time. And so it was more about covering gaps for sick days and things like that. But I did that for a couple of years in residency before I came to private practice. So when you started in your practice, how long until you started taking over the scheduling? It was a couple of years. You know, I was the low man on the totem pole and I just kind of was there to show up and do my job, but eventually kind of worked my way into the partnership and brought some ideas to the table that I think kind of prompted the group to think about different ways of doing our schedule. How were they doing it before? So when I got there, everything was being done manually. You know, we would have a schedule that would come out for a couple months at a time, but really a weekly schedule was printed and delivered to the techs and the clinical staff on Sunday evenings and it kind of didn't know exactly where you were going to be until Sunday night of the week before, which was a little bit scary at times um, and also hard to make some plans around. And so it was all being done manually. And not only was it manual, but it was incredibly rigid. And so you knew when you were going to be off, for instance, but you couldn't really choose when that was going to be. So it was almost what I call a wheel where you'd be working for a few weeks and then you'd have a week off. And if that didn't happen to fall at the time that you wanted to be off, you had to do a lot of swaps or, or cells or things like that to get the time off that you needed. At that time when you joined, roughly how many people were in the practice? 
there were 13 people. I made number 13 and 13 was a magic number because the ideal schedule is any number that divides into a 52 week calendar. And so 13 was perfect. You could basically run a schedule that just rolled over four times a year and uh, it worked out great. But like I said, the flexibility in your personal schedule was pretty limiting. So you know, once you took over the scheduling, how and, and why and, and when did you start making changes? Yeah. So I think the biggest gripes that prompted the change were that docs really had no flexibility to plan their own vacation time or even where they were going to be every day of the week. And there were enough of us that felt like something needed to change just to maximize our ability to, to craft a schedule that worked for everyone. And so the other components of it were that it was impossible to get off for a wedding or a family vacation, a specific week of the summer or things like that if you really needed to do so. What were the next steps taken to, to remedy that? So we investigated a few different online scheduling solutions. At the time, there were really two big players in the space. One was Lightning Bolt and the other was Qgenda. And we evaluated them both and you know put in a lot of time and effort to really kind of vet which one worked best for us. And we ended up deciding on Qgenda. So when you switched with, you, you made the move to Qgenda, this is kind of a tough question to answer, but I mean, what were the primary goals of doing this? Really flexibility and also providing a sense of transparency. You know, I think for those of us who have been in charge of making schedules before, there's always a little bit of distrust that the scheduler is making the schedule in their <laughs> own favor. And I think that that's probably true for every group. But, you know, what it does when you make it electronic is it makes everything transparent. You know, every change has got an audit trail and also it's dynamic. And so the schedule is always up to date if it's on the web. You know, we were having issues where people would have to make trades or swaps and the schedule would have to be reprinted on paper and redistributed out to every single department three times a week. And so we were just trying to limit all of that and just make it more real time, more transparent and more flexible. So generally speaking, was this a group wide initiative? Did everybody want to do this or was it relatively mixed? I would say the majority of the group was in favor of this. A minority of the group that had been happy with the way things were for many, many years didn't really see the benefit. And so it took a little bit of coaxing, but all in all, the majority was in favor of making a change. So Brandon, I want you to talk about how far you try to book out the schedule now compared to what you were doing before, because I think that's a, an important part of this discussion. Yeah. You know, I've talked to a lot of other groups and some people just make a schedule for a very short period of time, you know, literally a few weeks to maybe a quarter or a couple of months. We have shied away from that. We've found that the benefit of doing it this way is that you can actually make schedules much further into the future, which allows you to plan ahead, which has just been a tremendous benefit of this whole process. You know, I think if you wanted to plan a two-week European trip next summer, knowing that you could do that nine to 12 months in advance is just incredibly powerful. And we've seen that as travel has just gone up and up and up after COVID, it becomes increasingly important to be able to do things like that well in advance. And I will say that, you know, probably the biggest benefit as the scheduler of making longer schedules is that you have to make the schedule less frequently. And so, that in and of itself has been just an awesome reason to make longer schedules. So we typically make six month or 12 month schedules when we do so. Which I personally love for the same reasons you said, you know, I mean, I've already booked out Mardi Gras trips and stuff like that. So I've had Hugenda in one form or another for like 10 years, at least. And I think it was 10 years. We had it when I was at, at Vanderbilt and then at Penn. And then in both of my private practice jobs I've been in, but for you know the people out there who haven't used it, I mean, what does it do? How does Qgenda make your schedule? Right. So there's 
there's a lot of initial setup that you have to go through and they give you some specific instructions about creating different tasks and creating different providers. And then you fill out this ginormous spreadsheet that essentially kind of creates the rule set that the algorithm is going to use to make a schedule. And I think you have to tailor it to your specific practice because there are some people that find the best thing for them is just to let the computer do everything. And then there are other groups that say, well, some sort of a hybrid where we do some manually manual scheduling on our own, and then we do a mix of that with the computer algorithm works better. We probably fall into that latter category. We tend to do a few things manually and then let QGenda fill in the gaps. But essentially what QGenda does is it takes all of your rule sets for things like when you, when you have to be on call or how close to a call shift you can do a conference or how many weeks you have to get off a year, things like that. It takes all those rule sets into effect and just essentially allows your schedule to be automatically generated based off of those rule sets. Okay. So Brandon, it sounds pretty easy to use Excel. You just kind of push a button and it, it does it all for you, right? Uh, not always that easy, but, <laughs> um, but I will say, you know, it certainly gets the lion's share of the work done for you. There's always some cleanup you have to do at the end and, and probably the larger your practice is and the more complex it is, the more you end up having to do. But you certainly can't eliminate your group scheduler by switching to Qgenda. You still will need that person to be manually in, intervening in certain instances. Yeah. So then let's just talk about how you would go through a scheduling block, how you make the schedule with all the rules that we have to have in a moderate size practice. I think we're a moderate size practice. How many people do you have to schedule for now, Brandon? I'm scheduling for anywhere between 17 and 20 docs right now. Okay. So can you walk me through how you do it? Sure. I really do this in two different steps. And so the first thing that I do is I use Microsoft Excel to create what I, what I call the shell of the schedule. And I found that this is sort of the first step I have to do to make sure that I've got enough people working every day to meet the demands of our workflow. So how many RVUs do I expect to generate a day based on this many people working? Does that actually match with what we're seeing our production is? And not only what it is today, but you know, a lot of times we're making the schedule up for a year. And so I have to forecast what we're going to need a year from now as well. And so I feel like that's one of the important first steps is to decide what is the shell of your schedule actually need to look like. And so I use Microsoft Excel for that. And then once I have that done, then we sort of go around our group and we pick a few vacation weeks manually to sort of give everyone a heads up on when you're going to be off at least a few weeks in the coming year so that you can go ahead and start planning. And then we turn over everything to the Qgenda algorithm and let it fill in the gaps. Brandon, just to add some context here, can you explain how we do our vacation scheduling or at least how we pick our vacation? Yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting. So um, for those of you who play fantasy football, I know, Mike, you and I do, we do our vacation selections just like a fantasy football draft. So we create a randomized pecking order. The first person gets the first pick and then you go through round one and then you snake back in round two. And so if you pick first in round one, you pick last in round two. And it, uh, it does give everyone an equitable opportunity to get those high demand weeks off year to year because it's randomized. And we found that it tends to work just really well for us. And so you said you take those weeks, you know, the, the initial few rounds and plug those into Qgenda to make kind of the core of the schedule? Yeah. So, you know, I think that when we first started, we didn't do anything manually. We just let Qgenda fill it all out. And as you make the, this conversion, there's going to be a lot of distrust from personnel in the group who think that manual was always the right way to do it because you could control it. And so where we ended up was to appease everyone, we decided to have a few rounds of manual selection and then let Kijinda pick the remainder of the vacation weeks based on some preferences that we send in. So you still have the opportunity to request weeks off, but at least we know the first few weeks that you're going to get off were 
we're the product of a manual process that we actually vetted in front of everyone. Okay. So you take the stuff you put into Excel and we're looking at RVU data. We're looking at the number of slots and you have to assign those as rules and to Qgenda to determine that, you know, to make sure it's going to have the right number of people working. Yeah, it's not quite that complicated. You know, I'm a big advocate of Microsoft Excel. In the summer before I went to college, I worked in a biomedical research facility here in Baton Rouge. And before they even let me walk in the lab, they put me in the library and made me watch video tutorials on how to use Microsoft Excel. And I did nothing but that for a week. And to this day, I feel like that was one of the best educational experiences of my entire life was learning how to use that software because I have used it in so many different aspects of life, whether it's personal finance or group scheduling or even just, you know, retirement planning. It's been amazing. So I think the important thing to keep in mind is that schedule making really is just one giant math equation. And if you're going to be using a lot of math, having something like Excel to do a lot of the calculations in the background for you is really key. And I don't mean to say that this will work for every group, but for for my group, doing it this way really does. And so the first thing that I do is we have a certain number of docs that are in our call pool and we have a certain number of docs that don't take call. But there is a sense in our practice that everyone wants parity in the call pool. And so we want everyone to have the same number of calls, the same number of weekends, the same number of Monday shifts, things like that. And so because of that desire for parity, the best thing that we have found to do is to figure out how many people are going to be in your call pool. And then you take that number and you multiply it by an even number, either two or four. And that tells you how long of a schedule you need to make in order to have an equal number of call shifts per every dot. And so for us, we have 13 docs in our call pool. So we always end up making either a 26-week or a 52-week calendar. And that has just worked really well for us. I'm not particularly math inclined. So why does it have to be like, why do you take that number and multiply by two or four? It allows you to always have an equal number of shifts per doc. And not only that, but occasionally we have had some docs who want to go part-time, become a half FTE. And you really can't do that if you're using an odd number of weeks. And so we just have to have that round even number and two or four, depending on how long you want to make it go out, just tends to work out the best as the multiplier. Got it. How do you work out, you know, the minutia of, let's say somebody needs to be off pre-call or post-call, or let's say we need a certain number of mammographers. How do you work that into the schedule? Does that work smoothly with Qgenda? Right. So that is where Qgenda really helps you. So you can build those rule sets in Qgenda to say every single day of the week, I need an interventional doc, I need a breast imager, and I need a neuroradiologist. And Qgenda will always be mindful of that when making the schedule. And if it finds an error in the ability to do that, then it throws an override to the manual scheduler to figure out how we're going to solve that. And so that is where Qgenda shines. I think where Excel can help you on the front end is just determining exactly how many chairs you're going to need every day just to get the work done and then how many docs you need in your practice to match that. And so what I first do in Excel is I literally just list every single chair that we have in, in every row, you know, just going down the table. And it's important to consider in that equation things like your post-call day. So if you have a call day and then you get the day after that off, you have to actually consider that as a chair because it's someone who's occupying a slot in the schedule but isn't on vacation. So you have to do that first. And then if you just line all your chairs up in one column and then you line up all of your doctors in the other column, then the gap between those two tells you how many vacation slots you have every week. And so that's what I mean when you create the shell. You know exactly how many people you're working every day, exactly how many vacation slots are going to be each week. And once you know that, then you can go out to your practice and say, well, we know we're going to have five vacation slots every week. We'll go ahead and start manually assigning those weeks until, until certain weeks close. 
And so that's where Excel helps me before I go to Qgenda. But once Qgenda gets rolling, that's when the rule sets really come into place. Is it a challenge dealing with the way it works for us with employees on partnership track, for example, they're not going to have always the same number of vacation weeks as the rest of it. How do you work that in? Yeah. I think that it's important for your partnership or at least the core group of your docs to decide what is an acceptable amount of time off. And that's different for every practice. Some groups value that more than others. Some groups want to maximize income and and take less time off. So develop a consensus with your practice of what you feel is an appropriate amount of work-life balance, essentially. And we use a number called the work quotient, which basically is the number of weeks that you work divided by the number of weeks in the calendar. And so if you're take if you're making a 26 week calendar and you're going to take 4 weeks off out of that that means you're working 22 out of 26 weeks that your work quotient is 0.85 and if you can come to a consensus on what that number should be then that allows you to start to fill in your schedule shell to know where the gaps are going to be. And so typically the new docs that you hire may not have as much time off, at least initially, as the partners do, but they're contracted for a certain amount. So you have to assign them their vacation based on the allotted amount in their contract. You start adding those in, and then you have to just make sure that the numbers all add up to the total number of vacation slots that you have available for the entire calendar length. So that's, again, where you know Excel can calculate these formulas for you and make sure that you're doing all the math right. Okay. So explain a little bit about how we, how do you make sure that there's enough people working? We've got enough people on task and everybody's getting their vacation. Basically, Brandon, what I'm trying to get to is finding a good segue to talk about X-Man. Yeah. So inevitably, the math never works out perfect, right? And so you're going to have, you have to give every partner an equal number of vacation weeks, for instance, and then you have to give your newer docs their contracted amount of time off. And then you're going to have a deficit, most likely, especially in this day and age where we're just, you know, our volumes are keep rising and we can't hire people fast enough. And so you're always going to end up with a little bit of a deficit. How you handle that is really up to your group. The way our group has been able to match that need is by using what we call X-Man. And so we have created a fictitious person in our schedule called X-Man that ultimately has to be staffed by someone. And what we do is when that task comes up and we don't have a person to work that week, we sell those shifts. And if the shifts don't sell, we always have a default mechanism to where our post-call doctor gets activated for pay for that position. And what it does is it allows us to open up some weeks for internal moonlighting, but also to meet the need of the practice as a whole. And that's just how we have filled in the gaps is with X-Man. I think there's a lot of different creative ways you can do that, but that's been a really good solution for us. Brandon, my next question is is how you deal with new hires. I mean, we're a growing practice. I feel like we're always about to start onboarding somebody and you've made the schedule out for six to 12 months. How do you work a new hire into that, especially when they're not starting out at the beginning of the schedule you just made? Yeah, that's a really good point. So most practices don't operate on an academic cycle, but most new physicians that we hire are graduating in June and they're starting in late July or August. And so we have to often wait a little bit of time for them to show up before they can fill that spot in our schedule. And so, again, that's something where I think X-Man becomes helpful. You know, if you want to go ahead and make the schedule as if that person was in it, but then X-Man all of the time that before they actually get there, I think that's one way to do it. You could also just not start having a new chair until that person arrives. That would be another way to do it. And we've done it both ways. I think you just have to figure out what works best with the length of the schedule that you've created. Obviously, you don't want to make a 52-week schedule and then have somebody come in for just the last four weeks of it and consider them in 
the entire schedule. So you just have to be mindful of what their place is going to be. But what I have really found helps is to actually consider them as part of your schedule from day one and X-man out the time before they get there. How about for in terms of vacation scheduling for them? If, you know, we've already had a certain number of, of weeks picked by most of the partners, is it easy to, to really have them pick their vacation schedule because they're going to be, you know, a new addition to the workforce? We definitely include them in the ability to preference weeks off. If they're part of the schedule, then they're part of the vacation selection process. And so we don't restrict that. For instance, if they're only going to be there for a couple of months and they're contracted for eight weeks of vacation a year, for instance, then we just find the proportion of that time for the remainder of the schedule and allot them that much time off. So again, it's just a math equation that we figure out and we just ensure that we're meeting our contractual obligations for time off. And Brandon, you did mention that we pick some of our vacation in like a fantasy football draft, but not all of it. So how does the rest of it work? Right. I think everybody would, would love to just keep picking it on our own, like a fantasy football draft and just, you know, you make your whole team, you make your whole vacation schedule. But what we have found after using Qgenda now for about 10 years is that the schedule becomes almost impossible to be created automatically by the algorithm if you have manually intervened in something as large as the entire vacation schedule. And so certain rules are going to come into play after a few rounds. Just to give you an example, for instance, so our doctors who work the weekend get Monday off. But if you schedule out all your vacation time before Qgenda gets to have a role, then you might have a scenario where all of the interventional doctors that you need to work that week are off on Monday. And that is where Qgenda comes into play. So it will take those things into effect as it starts to plot out vacation time knowing what the demands of your practice are, knowing what the rule sets are that you've created, and it prevents those instances from happening. But if you spend too much time manually breaking that system, then you're hurting yourself on the back end of the process. So we have just found that a hybrid works best. We do a few rounds of manual scheduling, and then we let Qgenda take over. Brandon, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about how you do holiday scheduling, because obviously nobody wants to work the holidays, and it's, it's probably hard to rely on Qgenda to distribute that. Right. Qgenda really does not handle holidays well. And part of the reason is because every group has different holidays. So you and I work at a Catholic health system. We have certain holidays that aren't considered national holidays uh, and vice versa. You know, I mean, there are certain holidays that are banking holidays that we still go to work for. And so for every group, it's different. There is a mechanism in Qgenda where you can create what your holidays are but in terms of scheduling them, I haven't found it to be the, the end-all solution for that. I think that holiday scheduling for every group is a big issue, and it's the source of a lot of frustration, and people wonder, why did I get Christmas three years in a row, and things like that. I think that we've gone through our own iterations of how to best handle holidays, and I think where we've landed up is a really good place. And so when I came into the practice, the way we started was everybody was on a holiday rotation. And so as the new doc in the practice, you got Labor Day. And then the next year you might have Thanksgiving. And then the next year you might have Christmas. And it just kept rotating like that. But the problems that we found were that, number one, our volumes kept going up. And so then we started having to have more than one person working a holiday at a time. And so that became part of the problem. But the other problem is holidays that are maybe what the hospital observes as the holiday, but the actual holiday might fall on a weekend. So let's say Christmas, let's say Christmas Day falls on Saturday, the hospital observes Christmas Eve as the holiday, you work that holiday, you get credit for it, but the weekend doctor who's now working Saturday on Christmas Day wasn't getting any credit for working a holiday at all. That became a really big problem in our practice and just prompted 
a change. And, you know, that cycle will happen every five to seven years. And so it, it is an issue probably for a lot of practices. And so we went through a lot of different thought processes on how to handle this. I've talked to other groups that have some pretty creative ideas on this. I even talked to a group that does a reverse auction for holidays where they they basically put shifts up for sale on holidays at these extremely high amounts. And then docs bid down, not bid up, but bid down on the price of the shift for whatever they're willing to work. And it virtually guarantees coverage. And the people who don't want to work any holidays love it because they don't get involved at all and they never have to work holidays. So that was a pretty interesting concept. The other issue for us, though, was that the holiday schedule always displaced the rest of our schedule. And so if you just so happen to be scheduled for call on Christmas Day, but you weren't supposed to take Christmas that year, the holiday person would displace you and you just got out of a call. And in a busy practice like ours, there's a lot of monetary value attached to that. And so getting out of a call for free was a big deal. And so where we have landed is that we just let the actual call schedule dictate our holiday schedule. And what I mean by that is if you end up scheduled for call by QGenda on Christmas, you become the holiday call doctor. But what we changed is that now you get paid extra for it. And so it becomes a group subsidized shift that you would have already worked anyway in your yearly allotment, but now you're getting paid extra to do it. And if you really don't want to work it, you can sell it to someone else and the money doesn't come directly out of your pocket. It comes out of the groups. And so we have found that that works really well for us. It ensures that everyone gets scheduled for the same number of calls, same number of weekends for the entire schedule length. And so everyone's happy about the parity there, but it also incentivizes docs who would like to work more for extra money and then benefits the docs who would like to get out of working a holiday without having to pay for it. And also, just to point out, I I think you mentioned this earlier, you're not going to take any call during your vacation week. So if you knew you had to have Christmas off, take that week as vacation, you're not going to work then no matter what, because QGen is not going to put you on it. Right, right. And I think that's been a real interesting dynamic to see play out because for some docs, they don't mind working on Christmas, but then there's other docs that have really young kids and they, they value that day more than any day the entire year. And so what this allows us to do is you can schedule your schedule the way that it works best for you. Meaning if a holiday is important for you, then you may want to consider taking that entire week off because if you do, you will never be scheduled to work that holiday. But you take the risk of working the holiday by random, random assignment if you don't request that week off. You know, and for us, I think the most vacation requests typically occur around weeks where the kids are out of school. And so it tends to be the summer, Thanksgiving, Christmas, spring break things like that. But in our practice in South Louisiana, interestingly, one of the most requested weeks off is Mardi Gras because a lot of us take ski vacations that week with our kids. And so, but Mardi Gras may not be important for another person that might want Christmas off more. And so it's created an interesting dynamic of vacation selection, the way we've integrated the holiday schedule into our call schedule. Brandon, I think this sets us up well to talk about one of my favorite elements of how we schedule in our practice, and that's the buy-sell system. Could you talk a little bit about what that is and and basically the needs that it serves? Sure. What Mike's referring to is essentially a moonlighting system built within our practice. So we create our schedule through the manual and QGenda process, and then it comes out and then docs decide if there are shifts that they don't want to work, we throw those into what we call our buy-sell process. And so essentially we create another calendar of open shifts for sale. We go in a round-robin fashion, allowing docs to pick those weeks up for extra income. And then whatever's left over, we throw into QGenda, and then it sends a push notification to every doctor at the practice, there's a shift available. And anyone can pick that up on a first-come, first-served basis. You can do that 
for the entirety of the shifts that are for sale, but we've just found our practice tends to work better with a hybrid manual and automated process. And so we manually allow that to happen first, and then Kijinda helps us fill in the gaps. But I have found it to be a great part of the practice too, Mike, because it not only allows docs who are looking for a source of extra income to not have to go outside of the practice to do so, but it allows every single doctor in the practice to massage their schedule to whatever works for them. So if you wanted to have every Friday off, but you weren't that opposed to picking up random Mondays on your weeks off to compensate, you can do so through this system. And it doesn't really cost you anything because as long as you're swapping equal value for equal value, it all works out. But it allows an incredible amount of flexibility amongst our members and just, I think, has made our practice better. I'm a, a net buyer on the buy-sell market, but you know, I, I'll pick a lot of shifts, let's say, you know, I mean, I think I put three up in the last block where my kids had events at school and I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to be working for that and I've sold those. But one of the things I like is how they're broken down monetarily. You know, not every shift is assigned the same number value. So let's take a, a shift like our five to 11 call for an example, you know, without using specific numbers, how do you determine how much to pay for an individual shift and explain how, you know, we sometimes break them into bits? Sure. So we do a lot of data harvesting in our practice. And the thing that we have decided to do just to make this process as simple as possible is to typically every one to two years, we do some data harvesting and look at what is the actual RVU generation on any particular shift. And so let's say that on a call shift, I'll just throw out a number. Let's say we generate 80 RVUs in that call shift. Then internally, we have decided what we're going to price every RVU on that shift as. We multiply the average number of RVUs in that shift times that number, and that gives us a monetary value that we can sell our shifts at. And we look at this both in terms of volume and income every year. But you know, I think when you buy a shift, for instance, let's say the shift is priced for 80 RVUs, but you end up reading 100. That's the risk you take by buying the shift is you may actually end up sort of overworking your target, but you're going to make the same amount of money regardless. And I think it works both ways, though. I mean, if you have a very light night, you get the benefit of that as well. And so that's the way we've done that. And we do that for every single shift in our practice, whether it's a day shift, a call shift, a weekend shift, holiday, anything. And it all gets updated on Qgenda pretty easily? Yeah, your scheduler will have to still have some manual intervention to create those swaps and trades and things like that. But what's great about having the schedule electronic is that it's always up to date on that system. And so if you pull up our schedule, even right now, you'll see just this incredible number of swaps that have happened every single week. And if we had to manage that with constantly regenerating paper schedules, it would just be a nightmare for myself and and honestly, everyone else. Kijenda also has this really nice feature where you can view the schedule in real time. What that means is a tech or another clinician can go into our website and say, show me radiology associate schedule real time. And it will tell them at that specific time of the day who is working in each chair. So it'll tell you right now, who's the body doc, who's the IR doc, who's the neuro doc, who's on call tonight. It'll tell you all those things in real time. And you just can't do that with paper. And it's just been an amazing upgrade. It helps me as an interventional radiologist on call too, because the people do pay attention to those schedules. And it doesn't happen a lot that I get called when I'm not on call, which I'm on call a lot. So I appreciate that. Brandon, are there any other things that we didn't cover about Qgenda? Any benefits or challenges that you've noticed uh, working with this over the years? I think it's, it's important to emphasize that you have to build a sense of trust when you turn your scheduling process over to a computer. 
it really took us a couple of years to get all of our rule sets correct, to make sure that everything was working properly. And I think you have to go into it with that mindset of knowing you're not going to get it right the first time. And the downfall of that is that if you don't get it right the first time, then everyone starts to lose trust in it. And so if you're going to make this conversion, you really have to get your group to buy into the process of the transition and not just expecting that Qgenda is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to them. But I think what Qgenda does a great job of is it really takes the human factor out of this equation. It knows who the best person is for each chair every day, and it assigns them there. And it doesn't take into consideration anything that you don't want it to. And so there will be someone who will go and scrutinize the schedule and say, well, I was assigned to the body chair every single Monday this month. Why did that happen? And there's a lot of reasons why that might happen, but the computer knows those things and you may not. And it does a really good job of always ensuring that the rules are being followed and not worrying about any of the emotions that, that may be associated with that. I think the other great thing about the electronic schedule is just the transparency of it all. You know, I mean, you can audit every single thing that's happened in the schedule from start to finish. And that's not always something you can do if you have a single person making your schedule in the background. And I think the transparency is something that helps with the buy-in process. Another huge advantage of Qgenda is that it syncs with your mobile calendar. So your phone tells you where you're working every day. And if your group is like ours, I'm sure there are days where you had doctors that were showing up at the wrong facility or forgot that they were even scheduled to work at all. That almost never happens anymore because it is always synchronized with our digital life. And so that's really nice. And again, I mentioned this already, but it's always up to date. So the digital schedule is the source of truth. And that's really not anything anybody can argue with. Okay, Brandon, any other final tips with your experience as a scheduler, but also one of the people running a practice? Yeah, I would say I mentioned this earlier, but you do have to spend a lot of time in the beginning of the agenda process building a rule set, but you can get carried away. And if you make too many rules, you can actually break the system. And what that ends up causing is a lot of headaches for the human scheduler down the line because you end up having to make a lot of manual overrides just to get the schedule to work. And so we started off too aggressive with our rules and we had to back off. And I think that was a lesson learned that other people could benefit from. But going beyond that, I think just in general with practice scheduling, one of the things that we have seen recently, especially in radiology, is that volumes are surging incredibly. And sometimes residency programs are insulated from that. And the transition from residency to private practice can be overwhelming for a lot of doctors. And so when I started 15 years ago, I had a two-week orientation period. And then I think I was thrown into the call pool a couple weeks later. And we really can't do that anymore. I mean, we have to allow our docs more time to get acclimated and to get used to our our systems. And so in radiology, you're not just coming in from another facility and learning a new EMR. You've got to learn a new PACS. You've got to learn a dictation system. You've got to build those templates. You may have to be learning two or three plugins. You may have to learn a workflow orchestration solution. And so just learning all of those things takes time before you can really build your efficiency to a level where you can manage the flow of call and, and weekend work, for instance. And so we have had to space out the amount of time that our docs went from when they start to when they actually enter the call pool. For us now, is generally a period of about six to eight months. And I think the benefit of just waiting until that person's ready has has proven itself. And so just because you have a new doc coming in doesn't mean all of a sudden your call schedule is going to look great. You really have to allow for that time to process. I think Another tip that I've learned is you have to have some good data in your practice to be able to forecast what your RVU demands are going to look like. And if you are making these lengthy schedules like we tend to do, what is, you know, we know we're busy now. What are, how busy are we going to be in a year? 
And you have to know that because you're making a schedule out for a year. And so what you don't want to do is lock in everyone to this rigid vacation schedule that you've now promised everyone they've got all these weeks off for. And then six months down the line say, well, we actually needed another person that we don't have. And so you really have to be careful with data and, and forecasting to make a schedule that actually is meaningful for that block. Going electronic does not mean that your group doesn't need a scheduler anymore. I think it's actually the exact opposite. I think that person maybe has to put in a little bit more time and effort than they did before to make sure everything is working great. And being the scheduler has its benefits. Uh, it also has its fair share of headaches. And I think most practices underappreciate their scheduler. But I have learned so much being in this role. I think that it's definitely been a learning process for me. And if I could you know, offer any other advice, it's that inevitably when you make schedules, you're going to have things come up that are a conflict. And there's always going to be that random occurrence where you know, you're trying to fill a weekend and there's not the perfect person to put on that weekend because maybe everyone that you could put in is on vacation the following week. And you don't really have to assign that to someone and then have to hear about it later. And so the piece of advice that I would give you is sometimes as the scheduler, it's better just for you to take the fall on that and schedule yourself because the downstream effects of that are often not worth the headaches that it creates. And so it's one of those hard parts about being the scheduler, but it's also one of the many um, benefits that you can actually make the schedule work where the entire practice is happy with the end result. Brandon, that is about all I've got. This was extremely illuminating. And as you said, scheduler is very often underappreciated. I frankly had no idea how much work went into this. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Dong, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon, with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, Josh Spencer, design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Social media and PR by Anne Dang, Manisha Naganathanahali, and Mandir Singh Sabli. Administrative support provided by Jim Louis Kinnebrew. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening. 